Church this morning. If you're with us for the very first time, thank you so much for uh, visiting us here at the Pearl Church. I'm Pastor Doug, and I'm actually away this weekend. Uh, my wife Donna and I are speaking at a conference in Medford, Oregon, associated with our movement. And I do this three or four times a year, and so I'm not with you this morning. Uh, but you have a great speaker. I'll tell you about him in just a second. Uh, a couple of announcements. First of all, now men. I am teaching this Wednesday night. This is our first Bible study where we're actually going to go into the Word. A little different format than what we've done before. Very relaxed. Uh, I want to invite all of you to be here. So men, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here for the next two Wednesdays. Uh, we're doing a men's Bible study. Anyone is invited. No need to sign up. Just show up and we'll have a really good time. So thank you uh, very much for being a part of that. The second thing is that May 3rd and 4th, in just a couple of weeks, very important nights, that's a Monday and Tuesday, I'll be hosting a um, what we call an A2 event. In our movement, Ministers Fellowship International, this is where uh, the pastors from the Midwest come together, uh, probably 15 to 20 pastors, and what we're going to do Monday and Tuesday night is have open services. So anyone in the church is invited Monday night and Tuesday night, the 3rd and the 4th. Come and be a part of what's going on. Meet the pastors that are in our movement and a bunch of guests who are not in the movement, but really dear friends of ours at the Pearl Church. So the services are going to be awesome, great speakers, uh, a special time for the church. So please, Monday and Tuesday night, anyone is invited. Okay, now lastly, this morning, uh, you have the opportunity to hear from someone who was very dear to the church, and obviously I've known him most of, most of my life now, most of his life anyways. Uh, I was his youth pastor. I married he and Lisa. And this morning while I'm away, I've asked Pastor Asim to come and to give the first message on the third part of the series, which is Relentless. And so if you don't know him, he's the youth and young adult pastor here, but he's also, he plays an executive role. He wears many hats, as we all do, in this new church adventure called the, the Pearl Church. But anyways, this morning, will you do me a favor? Will you please, right now, clap your hands, shout like crazy people for a scene trend as he comes to bring the word. Tell him you love him. God bless you, and I'll see you next week. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Well, some of you, okay. You guys survived the snow. Isn't that crazy? We had some people visiting first service from out of town, and I was like, welcome to Narnia. This is it's, it's always winter. Um, well, I'm excited. Pastors Doug and Donna, again, they send their love, their greeting. They're in Medford, and they're praying for you. They love you guys, and uh, they wish they were here, but I'm here. You guys have to settle for me. No, I'm just joking. Um, I'm not Pastor Doug's mini-me. No. <laughs> um, I'm excited to preach the word tonight. God has, uh, this morning, God has really given me uh, a word for, for uh, this series as we're on the 3R, Real, Radical, Relentless. We're on the relentless portion of this series. And uh, I'm excited. Um, over the next few weeks, Pastor Doug is going to dive in a little bit deeper. And uh, I'm excited. We have some amazing pastors. Can I hear an amen? Um, Pastor Doug, I'm 35. I met Pastor Doug when I was 15, so literally more than half my life, uh, I've 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 known him, and we have some of the best pastors on the planet. And uh, again, they send their greeting. But this morning, I want to share from the subject "Picture Perfect: Understanding God's Relentless Love." Picture Perfect: Understanding God's Relentless Love. Let's pray, Father. I pray um, just for Your Holy Spirit, just to minister and to speak and to 
Uh, reveal yourself to those here again, that you would, uh, I pray the prayer of Paul, that you would give this place a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Every person here, you would open up their eyes of understanding, Jesus. Father, the eyes of their heart, that we might know you more, God. Father, I pray that you would bless every person here. Show them your unrelentless love. Let us understand it more. Let it become more real to us in such a real way. Let us not, let us see it, Lord God. I pray that it would be vivid in our minds, in our, in our imaginations, ingrained in our hearts, that picture uh, perfect of your love, your perfect love for us. God, help me to clearly communicate, convey, and illustrate your word this morning. In Jesus' name, can I hear a big amen? How many photographers are here this morning? There's, there's a few. There's a couple people looking down. There's one right there with a big old camera. We have Isaac, he, who's a great photographer, takes pictures. In fact, he puts pictures. He loves pictures so much, he puts pictures on his arm. Uh, and he just, he's, just, he's just fanatical when it comes to pictures. He's like, I got to just put them on my arms and neck, and I don't know where one will be next. <laughs> we have a lot of, we have a lot of uh, photographers here, talented people. I was an aspiring, an aspiring photographer until my camera got stolen. Someone gave me an expensive camera. My uncle did. And I got so excited. I, w- I thought, you know, I'm going to be a photographer. This is something I want to do uh, until it got stolen and it was short-lived. And then along came the iPhone and my wife. I was like, I don't need to be a photographer. I got a wife who has an iPhone. And, uh, and uh, she is the selfie queen, if you know my wife. And, and um, there should be a scripture, thou shalt not live on selfies alone or something like that. I mean, she's always taking the pictures. Um, um, selfies and capturing moments and uh, to the point where we're eating dinner. I'm like, let me just enjoy my burger. This moment is for me. <laughs> this moment is for me. Let me enjoy it. I don't need to share this moment with the world. Um, but the other day we were, we were looking at uh, some phot- uh, photos. I found a file buried in my hard drive called Lisa's BB Picks. Lisa's BB Picks. My wife, Lisa, for those of you who uh, I don't know, my wife was the one that was emceeing this morning. And uh, Lisa, BB, what's BB stands for? Blackberry. Lisa's Blackberry Picks. Blackberry, rest in peace. God bless Blackberry. But here you, you look at the Blackberry Picks, which I love Blackberry. I actually love my Crackberry. I mean, I loved it. I mean, it was email, bubble breaker, and text. And my life was complete. That's all I needed until iPhone came and it complicated everything. But you look in the file, you look at the, I was looking at the different files and photos and dozens and hundreds, literally hundreds of photos. And I was thankful for all the snapshots she took, all the pictures that she took, because it just, it brought back certain memories. It reminded me of this, of when we were here, when, when this happened. And, and that's what pictures do. They remind us of those moments, those moments that are captured on film of, of, of what happened and when it happened and, and moments that, that are memorable and not so good memories, but good memories, memories that, 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 that convey certain emotions. And pictures do that. Pictures can convey and invoke and inspire emotions that words cannot. Uh, pictures can communicate and convey and can illustrate uh, um, uh, thoughts that words cannot. How many of you have ever read that, heard the saying, a picture paints a thousand what? Words. And, And pictures can do that. Pictures can grab your attention. It can captivate you. A good picture can grab, and I'm really believing that this morning, that God will grab your attention. I told this story the first service like several years ago when we were living in Portland. I got a letter from the city of Portland. And the letter from the city of Portland, I open it up, and it's a, it's a picture of my wife. I'm like, why is the city of Portland sending me a picture of my wife? I open it up, and it was a picture of a photo radar. From, from, from a photo radar. And here's my wife 
in the picture with her eyes closed. They were closed. Her hand lifted up and her mouth open. Like she's Darlene Sheck. Ah, just lifted up, just singing to the Lord a new song. I don't know what, but I'm thinking, I'm looking at this picture and I'm like, oh my word. God wants to get your attention by sending you this picture and telling you, I love you. And I know you love me, but don't worship me while you're driving. <laughs> True story. I, 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 uh, I actually shared this story with our youth group, um, our youth ministry last Sunday night. And then Monday, the next day, the city of Denver sent our household a picture. <laughs> and it was of me. And it was picture perfect. <laughs> I mean, 10 and 2, eyes wide open. And it was brilliant. And um, except for the $40. Be, be careful of Yosemite. Be careful of that street. A picture can grab your attention. Can, can, a, a good snapshot can inv- invoke and inspire emotion. Can remind you of where you're at. Where you've been. A good picture can communicate and convey something that, that words can't. And my prayer this morning my one prayer, again, if I had one prayer to pray for this service for you, it's this, is that God would, that you would begin to understand God's love. That he would begin to reveal to you his love. That somehow through these scriptures that I'm going to tell you and talk about and expound on this morning, that those scriptures would begin to illustrate in a deeper way God's love. That God would begin to reveal to you not just information but revelation about his love. Because how do you, how do we, how do you, where do we even begin when we talk about God's love? I mean, some of you, yeah, God loves you. That's great. I mean, I remember growing up and in, 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 uh, I went to, a, uh, grew up my, with my grandparents for a long period of my life and uh, my childhood from, you know, kindergarten to sixth grade and we would always go to mass. And, and I remember my grandparents, devout Catholics and praying and telling me God loves me. And I'm like, whoa, that's great. And coming into church and hearing the gospel for the first time when I was 13 years old, going to church when I was 15 and seeing people lifting up their hands, I'm like, that's, you know, you know, singing songs, I love to love you. I'm like, what does that mean? I mean, I love my mom. I don't sing to my mom. <laughs> I mean, we talk about love and it can seem like a, such a foreign concept. How do we truly understand not just love but God's, God's love? My prayer is that you would understand it and that it would be revealed to you because the more that you understand God's love, the more that you, the more that you grasp how high and how deep and how, 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 how wide and how long his love is, the more that you grasp God's goodness, the more inclined you'll be to tell other people the good news. The more that God's love is revealed to you, the more that you, you will want to reveal God's love. I'm telling you, this is the key. God's love is changing the world, and how we get that message out is as, if, as we begin to experience it in such a deeper way and understand it in such a deeper way, we'll be motivated to share it with others. And so my prayer this morning is that somehow, some way, God will get through and begin to reveal to you a deeper understanding of his relentless love. It's so real. I could talk about God's love all day and all night, but until God reveals it to you. I mean, I grew up in a home where I, 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 I felt loved. It wasn't the, the best home, but it was a home where I felt loved. I felt taken care of. And so I, I didn't, honestly, to be honest, I didn't feel like I needed God. I didn't feel like I, like, why, why go to church? People talk about church. I'm like, why do I, why do I want to go to church? Why worship God? Why? I didn't, I felt like I, I didn't have that need. I didn't realize it wasn't revealed to me the depths of my depravity and who I was without God and who God is and what he did on the cross. I've heard it, 
but I didn't hear it. I had ears, but I didn't hear. I saw it, but I didn't see it. I thought I knew it, but I didn't understand it. Until when I was 15 years old in a worship service, no one preaching at me, no altar call, just in a worship service. It was just revealed to me. It was just this deep understanding and revelation of his relentless love for me. Jesus, in Luke chapter 15, masterfully illustrates and communicates and uses different scriptures, excuse me, stories, to paint a picture of his relentless love. Items like a coin lost, son lost, and of a sheep that I just read to you that was lost. And through his relentless love, in fact, Jesus was hanging out with sinners, and the sinners and tax collectors in verse 1 were like, what? Well, look, at, look at him. He's hanging out with these sinners and, and tax collectors. And then Jesus looks at these, these religious leaders and begins to communicate and illustrate and paint a picture of a sheep that was lost and how a shepherd leaves 99 other sheep, just leaves them in the open pasture and follows and pursues this, this little lone lamb and begins to pick this lamb up and begin to carry it home. And to me, this is such a beautiful picture of God's relentless love. It's a beautiful picture. I actually just want you to put this next point up, and it's my one point, my one thought, and if you can get this one thought, it's this, is that God's relentless love pursues us, carries us, and brings us back to our rightful place. That God's relentless love is like that shepherd going, leaving everything to go after that one sheep, leaving all the 99 to go after the one because that one had such value that he would sacrifice to give everything up for that one sheep, but not only to pursue it, but to grab it and to carry it and to lift it up and to take it back home, as, as Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 15 says, or take it back to its rightful place. That is God's love. It's a beautiful picture, and I'm going to go a little, dive in a little bit deeper into this thought, but it's an amazing thought because we've all been like that little sheep lost. We've all been lost. How many of you have ever been lost? I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible feeling. I don't know where I'm at. I'm literally lost. I remember a few weeks ago during spring break, my wife and I are at, at um, Steamboat Springs, and I'm, like, excited because I've been waiting. I went to Steamboat last summer, and it's gorgeous. And, man, I can't wait to go here to go ski. I don't know if any of you ski, but I love to ski and to get up there in the mountains. I, I can't wait. And I was kind of discouraged because the weeks leading up to the trip, they hadn't snowed. It hadn't snowed in over three weeks in Steamboat. And my wife is praying for sun, and I'm praying for snow during spring break. And I'm like, no, we need to be in agreement, babe. We're praying together. Don't pray. And I'm like, you need to agree with me. She's like, so we pray for snow. But under her breath, she's praying for son. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally discouraged. But thank God he answered my prayer. He loves me more than, okay, never mind. <laughs> he answered my prayer. We got, we got literally like knee-deep snow. It was amazing. I was so excited. We landed steamboat. The first day was kind of icy. The second day, man, I couldn't wait up to get to the slopes. And so I suit up. I get there. I'm like on the first chair. I get to the very top. There's a few people in front of me, actually several people, and they all break left. And I see two snowboarders break right and go underneath a rope and take off. And I'm thinking in my head, they know something I don't. They're going someplace. They, they must be some locals. They have to, they're going someplace. I want to follow them. I don't want to go where these, these folks are because it's going to get all tracked up powder and it's going to get ruined and I want some fresh stuff. And so, and so I, I, I follow these two snowboarders. I duck under the rope and I take off trying to catch up to them until all of a sudden I'm about a minute down the slope and I realize 
I don't know where they're at. And then I stop and I realize I'm the only one here. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Where am I? I'm lost. And this, I mean, I froze for like 10 minutes. This is not an exaggeration. I literally just stood there with my poles for 10 minutes thinking, what do I do? I mean, I look back up. I'm like, I can hike back up, but that's far. And I don't know what's underneath. It's kind of crusty, the snow. I, I, can, I, can, I don't know. Um, where, where, am I, where am I at? And I thought I could, you know, I don't know where, that, I don't know where, where this leads. There's no one in sight. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there probably was a reason there was a rope up there. <laughs> and I thought, do I call someone? But then I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> you know, that guy that, that, you know, with the snowmobile. I'm like, that, that, that's, that will not be me. I'm going to figure this out on my own, get out a map. And then I realized, you know, I traced my, 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 my steps. Figured, okay, I was there. Okay, I, okay that's where I was going to go. But now I, I think I'm here. But here is exactly where a lady that worked at Steamboat, where I told her, I was asking her where to go. She said, don't go here. I'm looking at the map. I'm, I, I'm, I'm at the spot she said not to go. I'm lost. I remember being frozen. Not because it was cold, but because I was scared. I'm thinking, man, a bear can come out and eat me, and no one would ever know. I'm lost. How many of you ever done something that you shouldn't have done, crossed a, a, a boundary that you shouldn't have crossed, and you found yourself in a situation that you don't know how to get yourself out of? You're lost. That, that is a picture of humanity. That word loss is such an interesting word that we see throughout Scripture to help communicate or illustrate the state of humanity. Lost. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I've gone too far. I, I can't undo what I already did. And I don't know where this road leads. And I'm actually too prideful to, to ask for help. And so I'm just going to stay right here lost. So many people, that's, that's where they live in this state of just being suspended in nothingness, going nowhere, lost, confused, empty, alone, all by themselves. Lost. What, what, a, what a beautiful word. Not a beautiful word. What a vivid word used to communicate and illustrate humanity. Another word is fallen. We've all Sin, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, of, of that glory, that, that glorious standard for humanity that God set for us. The Bible says that we've all just fall flat, fallen. There was a commercial in the 90s of a particular medical device for senior citizens that was a commercial, and, in, and towards the end of the commercial of this uh, advertisement communicating this medical device for, for seniors was this lady laying down by um, a tub saying the words, I've fallen and I can't get up. And in the 90s, this phrase became part of pop culture. Don't laugh. It's not funny. There's actually people that have fallen and can't get up. Some, you guys are so sadistic. <laughs> There's people out there that have fallen and can't get up. And it, it, it is. I remember as I'm preparing for this message, I'm like, Man, that's kind of sadistic because for a lot of people, you can't quantify the concept of falling and and, and getting up because if you fall, you get up. 
It's like we don't understand falling and not getting up because if you fall, just, just get up. And, and my, for my, my, my wife's grandmother, she actually fall. I mean, she, she actually fell and fallen and she couldn't get up. I mean, she messed up her hip. Two and a half years ago, I fell. I threw out my back. I'm on the ground. My wife's like, get up. And I'm like, I've fallen and I can't get up. Where's my red button? Where's my phone? There's got to be an app. I mean, to be in that state, I know what it's like to be in a state where you're bedridden, where you're just on the ground, where you can't move, where you're immobilized, where you're, you, you can't move. There's no motion in you. You're stuck. And if I can just take that physical analogy and apply it spiritually, again, this is another picture that, God, that, that we see throughout Scripture to communicate the state of humanity. Fallen. And you can't get up. Fallen and unable to reach and attain that glorious standard that God has set for you. But by the grace of God, by his love and through his redemption, the redemption through Jesus Christ, we can make it. This is the good news. This is the gospel is that so many people, they try within themselves to try to pill themselves up, pill themselves up out of, out of the floor, off the floor, out of depravity, out of depression, out of loneliness, out of darkness, out of despair, out of lust, out of selfishness, out of envy, trying to pull themselves up and somehow through their own strength and through their own ingenuity and their own ability and their own stamina, somehow they think within themselves that they're going to make it, but that's not the case. The Bible says you won't. You've fallen and you need someone that will pursue you, carry you, and pick you up and take you to that place, to that rightful place, the place that you belong. That's Jesus, and that's his relentless love, that even when we were down, depraved, in our own sin, in our own shame, fallen, not, not being able to, I mean, a lot of people, they think, man, if I can just through strength and stamina, and my own ability, I, I could make it. You'll, you'll only get so far. You'll only get so far. It's better to rely on a Savior. We need him. We need him. We need someone to, to help get us to that rightful place. There's a script, another portion of Scripture that I want to end with and just kind of take the last few moments with you this morning. It's in, out of Second Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It's a great story that helps illustrate God's relentless love. Turn to someone and say, picture perfect. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, begins a story of a young man in the Bible called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth who? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, it's one of those unlikely obscure names that we see throughout Scripture, and you don't see it, it's not a common name like David or Daniel or Jonathan or Saul, a name that's easy to say. It's like Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son and heir to a kingdom, a kingdom that belonged to Saul. And through Saul, he had a son, Jonathan, and through Jonathan, he had a son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, at the age of five, got news that both his dad and his granddad passed away or got killed. And one day, in one moment, Mephibosheth got news that both his father and his grandfather were, were killed. Both Jonathan, his father, and Saul were, were killed. And so here you have, have, the, you have this, this five-year-old who's probably living 
getting taken care of by caretakers and whatnot. And one caretaker hears news, news gets back to the castle, so to speak, that Mephibosheth, you, you know, your, your, your dad and your granddad, they, they, they passed away, they're, they're killed. I don't know what happened, but we got to get you out of here. And so out of, uh, maybe out of haste, but frantically, they pick up Mephibosheth and they take him out of the castle. Why? Because back then in those days, it was common for, for a dethroned dynasty to be, in, uh, to, to be a threat to the current dynasty. And so, and so the current king would send an edict out to kill any, anyone tied to that previous lineage. Anyone tied to that previous kingdom and dom- domain would, 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 was a target. And so these caretakers thought, okay, they, they, they killed your dad and your granddad. They're going to come after you, Mephibosheth, so we got to go. And so they pick up this five-year-old. Maybe he was too big for the caretaker. I don't know. Somehow, some way, what we do know is that, that somehow, some way, this caretaker tripped and, and, and dropped Mephibosheth. And the Bible says Mephibosheth was lame from that point on. He couldn't walk. He was lame in two feet. And so his name, Mephibosheth, actually his original name was Mirabal, which, which means to eliminate idols, was changed to Mephibosheth, which means son of shame. He was originally a son that was going to eliminate idols. He was a, a child of the king, a prince. And I can just imagine looking at Jonathan's, excuse me, Jonathan looking at Mephibosheth's eyes and thinking, oh my goodness, one day he's going to grow up and he's going to be, he's going to be great. He's going to eliminate idols. He's going to, he's going to do damage to the kingdom in a good way. He's he's going to, he's going to do something. He's going to make something of himself. But instead he finds himself unable to walk, living in obscurity in in a town called Lodabar, all alone, all by himself. Actually, the, he finds himself living in this place called Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? It means a place of no pastor. It means no pastor, a place without pastor. And I hope you get this picture. I hope the snapshot sinks in because this is a picture of humanity. We're, we're supposed to be one place, but we find ourselves living in another place, a place that's much lower than what we're supposed to live, a place uh, uh, surrounded by a place of no pastor, surrounded by shame, surrounded because the son of a, a king, uh, uh, let alone a crippled, was, was a sign of shame, but let alone a, a, a crippled son of a king. That's why he's just, I'm just shameful, living in obscurity living in loneliness, living in a a dry and barren place. That's humanity. That's mankind. Settling for an environment that that fits the way they view themselves. Don't settle for an environment that fits the way you view yourself. Align your view to God's view and see where it takes you. Because the way God sees you, he sees you as a son of the king. Because I love it. The rest of the story goes, David finally ascends to the throne, takes the kingdom. And he's sitting around and he's asking people, he actually says this, he says, is there anyone from the house of Saul whom I can show my kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Because he made a covenant to Mephibosheth's Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. That covenant was, I'm going to take care of you and your household no matter what. It was that they had a deep bond and a deep friendship. And actually, in reality, I'm sure that Mephibosheth knew this. He undoubtedly would have had to known that David made such a promise to his father that, 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 that he had certain rights because of this promise. But yet, he knew it, but yet he didn't understand it. And he started, he just settled to living in Lodabar. 
And so David continues to inquire, hey, does anyone know who I can bless, who I can show my kindness to? And then someone speaks up and says, oh, there's Ziba. you got to talk to Ziba because Ziba was, you know, he managed Saul's house, and so Ziba might know. And so they go grab Ziba. Ziba stands before David, and then David asks Ziba, is there anyone from Jonathan's house, anyone from Saul's house whom I can show my kindness to? And then Ziba says, there's, there's Mephibosheth. And I find this interesting. Mephibosheth was living in such obscurity that David didn't even know he existed. And he says, go, get, go bring him to me. Go, go track him down. Go pursue him. Come on, this is God's relentless love. God wants to track you down. Come on, you know what the grace of God is? The grace of God is, is his love tracking you down. You know what the good news of the gospel is? The gospel is God's relentless love no matter where you're at, no matter how you're hiding, how, how, how much shame you, is, is on your life. It's God's love tracking you down. How many of you have ever experienced that, 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 that track down, there was that, that being, being taken down by God, God pursuing you, coming after you? And I find this interesting because here he, they're, they're going to track down Mephibosheth, and then Mephibosheth, the Bible says, is actually afraid. He's summoned to the palace, and he's afraid. He's afraid because he's thinking that they're, maybe they're going to eliminate me. Maybe he's embarrassed. Maybe he's thinking, man, I'm just, I can't even walk. Doesn't want to be seen. He was afraid. So many people, they approach God and, and they're afraid. I've talked to people, I've actually talked to people, and they, they, they don't want to come to church because they're afraid. They don't want to serve God because they think, man, if, they, if I could just get these areas of my life right because, you know, I can't serve God now because I'm, I'm, I'm lame. I, I have two feet. He's not going to accept me. They're, they're afraid. But in reality, it's the exact opposite. So many people approach God with this mentality that he's mad at them when it's the exact opposite. David was there to show his kindness, his love, to restore him. The Bible says that he, he takes Mephibosheth and actually he, he actually shouts his name, Mephibosheth, with an exclamation mark. That's the God that we serve. That is his love. The Bible says that he rejoices over you with singing. He loves you so much when he sees you, he's shouting your name. And then he says, who am I that you would treat me? I'm a dead dog. I'm a dead dog. He says, no, in fact, you're a son. I'm going to treat you like a son. And the Bible says that he gave him houses and he gives him lands. He says, everything that should have belonged to you as a son of the king, I'm going to give to you because now I'm going to treat you like a son of the king. And not only that, I'm going to ask Ziba and all of his servants and all of his household to serve you because you can't even serve yourself because you're lame and you're crippled and you can't walk. But guess guess what? I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to sit you at my table. And the Bible says from this day forward, you are going to eat at my table with a crown on your head. You went from being a crippled to, to wearing a crown. You went from being in obscurity to being in the spotlight, God, because God loves you. That's his relentless love. And the more we understand that, the more we grasp the good news, I am telling you, we'll be more motivated to tell the world. Because think, think of the, of the, what good you have, the good, the good that you have, or the good you wish you had. Think of that experience, any, that, that, that good experience that you've had or wish you had, whether it's you know, finding the woman of your dreams or man of your dreams or winning a lottery ticket 
getting your house paid off, getting that dream job, finishing um, that, that goal of, of graduating college. And you, you, the man, you experienced that such a good experience. Have you ever talked to someone that, or, or watched someone graduate a lot? Last year, I saw my, my little brother graduate college and just the look in his eye, like, I made it. Think of that good experience and God's goodness, his kindness and his love is gooder. I know that's not a word because God reserved it for himself. I'm gooder. He's, he's so much gooder. And the more we experience that, the more we'll be able to communicate and convey. The more it's revealed to us, the more we want to see it revealed to the world. And I wish I can, you know, maybe someday in heaven, I want to see that snapshot of Mephibosheth seated at the king's table. So much so I can just imagine maybe there's, maybe the, you know, there's a table and there, there's a cloth and, and you can't even see his, his lame feet because he's covered. But that's what God's love does for us. It, it covers you. You look at yourself and think of yourself and you think of yourself as a crippled. You think of yourself as lame. You think of yourself as unable, can't do, will never do. You think you belong in Lodabar, but here's a picture of Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table with a feast in front of him, and maybe even a crown on his head because he's the son of a king. That's God's unfailing love shown through David, a shepherd. And he entered. A lot of people think that Psalms 23 was actually um, somewhat inspired by this experience because we have this amazing shepherd who pursues us, carries us, and brings us back to our rightful place. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. Can I get the worship team to come up? I lift my hands to say how much you need.